You're listening to the Book and Film Globe podcast. I am Neil Pollock, the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the worlds of books and film and streaming TV and so much more. And this is your weekly distillation of the opinions and news that appears on our fine website. We have a great show, long anticipated, for you this week. I'm going to talk to contributor Omar Gayaga about the new season of Black Mirror that is now airing on Netflix. That's the sci-fi horror anthology show from writer Charlie Brooker. And I'm also going to talk to contributor Scott Gold about Secret Invasion, the less than excellent new show in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that is now airing on Disney+. Plus. But first, I'm going to welcome back John Paul Gwynn, a film critic, to talk about the delightful new Wes Anderson movie, Asteroid City, which is now airing in theaters across the country and perhaps the world. And we'll be right back to talk about Asteroid City after this musical interlude. In a summer full of toy-based intellectual property and explosions and superhero movies, suddenly into our lives comes a Wes Anderson movie, of all things. Asteroid City has opened now uh, in widely after having uh, tested in major markets where Wes Anderson uh, fans tend to live in large uh, colonies. Um, and now it is now it is available to everyone. And John Paul Gwynn, uh, our resident film critic, uh, has re- one of our resident film critics has reviewed it for us. Hey, JP. Hello. Hey, so I promised you a better movie after Transformers Rise of the Beasts, and and you got it with Asteroid City. You delivered. You yeah. delivered. Yeah. And all yeah. We're, not here. We're not there. The car exploded. Come get the girls. I have to stay here with Woodrow. I'm not the chauffeur. I'm the grandfather. Where are you? Asteroid City, Farm Route 6, Mile 75. Stargazers and space cadets. Each year we celebrate Asteroid Day, commemorating September 23rd, 3007 BC, when the arid plains meteorite made Earth impact. Holy Toledo, that's Mitch Campbell. You're very good in the one about the tramp in the brothel who gets amnesia and makes you a pediatrician. You are very awesome. Actually, maybe my favorite character of them. I don't know why nobody else likes it. So we both saw this last night in Austin, separate showing, separate uh, Alamo Drafthouse uh, screenings, but but nonetheless, we both absorbed it. And I think we had a very similar reaction to to this film. It was, well, I was delighted. I enjoyed it. I laughed really hard. And I think that's a, about all I can really ask for from a movie. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. It's a really fun film, right? It's like there's there's fun songs. There are there are uh, you know funny sort of stop motion cartoon effects. There are beautiful sets, uh, quirky characters, uh, and you know it doesn't really overstay its welcome. Um, you know, he Wes Anderson sets it sort of in this um, imagined 1950s western town in the middle of the desert between Nevada and Arizona and California, sort of a nuclear test site, Roswell hybrid kind of place. Um, and uh, populates the film with all kinds of character actors and, uh, you know, and lots of uh, really unannoying kids. Amazing how unannoying this movie was considering it's a Wes Anderson movie and how many kids there are in it. Well, we weren't in a restaurant with them. So, yeah. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, I, I do not like uh, it when children enter a restaurant uh, with me. It's true. They were eating in a diner, which is an acceptable 
uh, setting for children. But, you know, the movie is just kind of a um, it's it's whimsical. It's Wes Anderson, um, but it doesn't you know, and yeah, it's a little twee, but I felt like it uh, I felt like it really uh, held together and was was fun pretty much from the beginning. I was I was surprised to hear you say that. I didn't think that you would like it. Uh, We've never sat down and talked about Wes Anderson and what you think, but I know that you're more on the eh side than I am. And whereas I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan. I I really, really, really like Wes Anderson. There hasn't been anything that I haven't liked. Uh, I didn't like, I didn't like Isle of Dogs. Um, I felt like the French dispatch was a real mixed bag. You know, this is a, this is a, this movie, it feels like a sort of, I mean, he's not done making movies yet, but this is sort of the apotheosis of Wes Anderson. You know, it's like formally, it's formally kind of complicated, and but it still contains a lot of the elements of, um, you know, his movies uh, like The Life Aquatic or The French Dispatch. You know, th- those movies in particular, I think it resembles in that it's sort of a uh, fantasy world to some extent. You know, I, I the uh, movies like Rushmore and The Royal Tenenbaums were maybe a little bit more autobiographical, a little bit more grounded in reality. This, this is a, uh, an extended riff. It's like an extended riff on 1950s culture. Well, I think he goes pretty conceptual with it. It's meta. It's a framed in a structure of, we start watching a television show and that television show is about the making of the play and the play is asteroid city, but the play doesn't actually exist. So you're going back and forth from this TV show about the making of the play to the play itself. Sometimes literally with characters walking out of the door of one world and into another. Yeah. And I will say this. I mean, well, I, I, I am, you know, a fan of, uh, 1950s, late fifties, early sixties, uh, dramatic serialized television, like uh, playhouse 90 or, uh, you know, or, or other, uh, other shows like, you know, that Rod Serling and Pat Achievsky wrote for and all that. Sure. I'm a fan of that stuff. Uh, I, I certainly have, uh, you know, spent time uh, reading about and, and uh, watching stuff about this sort of stellar Ad- Stella Adler school of method acting uh, that became popular in New York in the 1950s. And there's, a, there's a, an extended play on that as well. So I, I'm into all that stuff. I'm not... I did, it wasn't my favorite part of the movie, though. Like, I, I, liked, I liked the bright Technicolor... Uh, Asteroid City stuff a lot more. What were your favorite parts of the movie? I'm curious because I had a conversation about this when in the car on the way back from seeing it and everybody's were kind of different. Um, well, I like the silly songs. Right. The silly songs are great. Um, I always, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm always a sucker for, for that stuff. Um, there, there is a, some scene with, where uh, Tilda Swinton is explaining to the genius kid in the laboratory, uh, tr- trying to de- trying to like decide whether or not she wanted to have kids, I thought was extremely funny. And then, of course, I don't, I don't really want to give this away, but there, right. the, the major stop motion animation moment was was fantastic. And I, yeah, not <laughs> right. And it wasn't something that was in the trailer, um, so I, I don't want to I don't want to give it. Away, And I also, you know, I enjoyed some of the performances. I mean, this is definitely like, I mean, there's a huge ensemble, but this is, you know, this is definitely Jason, J- Jason Schwartzman's movie. I mean, he is by far gets the most screen time. Yeah, it's mostly Jason, J- a lot of Jason, Jason Schwartzman and a lot of Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, and uh, she's also, she plays a she's a movie starlet 
1950s movie starlet who has a daughter is a scientific genius who's receiving some kind of sash from the U.S. government for her invention of a, I don't know, some kind of ridiculous scientific contraption that could never have been invented. Um, and uh, yeah, but I think she, I thought she was really good. And, you know, there was really, there were no, um, everyone else had so, I didn't have that much to do. So there, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of room for clunkers. And I realized that when I sat down to write about it this morning was that they were pretty much the only two characters who kind of have much of a story act. The next two are their kids. Uh, oh, and Tom Hanks. And Tom Hanks as well. But he's almost supporting that that, that story arc of, of Jason Schwartzman more than, than having yeah. his own separate one. And the rest of them are a lot of characters wandering around doing uh, uh, goofy things, either inventing uh, strange scientific uh, laser beams and things like that, or... Uh, running a just twee desert hotel with vending machines for seemingly everything. Yeah, Steve Carell runs the hotel, and he's, there's like a cocktail vending machine. There's a vending <laughs> machine. There's a vending machine that sells real estate. Um, you know, and and you know he he doesn't. He's just kind of a. He's not even the stage manager. That that's really you know that's Brian Cranston's job. So Steve Carell he really is just a, playing a bit part, and he. But yeah, <laughs> You know, it's the, it was the least annoying he's been in a movie in years. But he's having such a fun time doing it. And I, I agree with you. I think the stop motion thing is probably going to be a lot of people's favorite. It certainly was when I was watching it last night. People oohed and odd and laughed like they were little kids during that part of the movie. Uh, it wasn't It wasn't quite my favorite part of the movie, but it was definitely up there. My favorite part is a couple of different um, Jeffrey Wright lines. I think anytime he was on uh, made things better as a very stern general uh, with a little bit of a dramatic flair. It's, it's weird because there's nothing that you can give away that really ruins it, but you, you, any spoilers that there are, are just spoiling jokes. The story is very light and, and, and it's a, it is a straight up comedy. I found the black and white uh, stuff well, not bad by any means, uh, and always sharply written and watchable. Just to be, you know, pretentious in in a, in a way that the rest of the movie didn't need to be. And I felt like if it, I would have been happy just with a straight up Technicolor Asteroid City, I think it would have felt a little flimsy. Honestly, Maybe. Maybe. I think, th but I do think that people will come out of it initially, maybe a little bit confused as to why it's in there and i do think it's a little bit pretentious but i think it's pretentious in a way that's very uh sincere uh, you, almost like like a 17 year old who's obsessed with stella adler and the new school wrote it and it's not even, pretentious it's not pretentious in the way that Bo is afraid which came out earlier this year was pretentious you know it, it it didn't bash you over the head with its with its deep uh with its depth you know it was just you know it was it was kind of for it was just kind of trivia for theater dorks, which right. I am. So I'm okay with it, and I, you know, and, and it's just nice to see. Because um, let's face it, there have been some fun movies out uh, in the last two or three months, but there's been a, but they've been pretty stupid, and <laughs> and you know, I mean, there's been a lot of lot of stupid content that we've just. It's the summer, so they've been ramming us full of uh, headshots and you know. <laughs> Super, super. Are, are, you, are you referring to a certain movie that rhymes with low main hair? Um. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was that. There was low main. Yeah, there, and there. Yeah, 
you know, there's just, there have been killer dolls and killer bears and, 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 and John Wick. And, and this is a movie that, um, you know, harkens back to an era of movies um, where not every movie was a blockbuster. You know, there right. was there was a space for this kind of um, artsy, fart, fartsy fun. Yeah, and everybody's having such a good time doing it. Yeah. It's full of joy. Yeah. And I think if you walked out and you said, I hated it, you know, there's, there, there has to be something that yeah. that that almost everybody would like about it. Yeah, I hate a lot of stuff, JP, but I'd have to you'd have to have a heart <laughs> me too. You know, but you'd have to have a heart of stone. You don't have to you don't it doesn't have to be your favorite movie of all time, but you'd have to have a heart of stone to walk out of Ast- Asteroid City and say I hated it. And you you know, and you're just wrong if you say it sucks because it just it just doesn't. It might not be for you like, you know, my my yeah. my dear departed father wouldn't have liked it, you know, but um, you know, it's like but it's, it's, it's good, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. well, well-crafted and like, you know, to my mind, um, the most enjoyable thing Wes Anderson has made in years. I was entertained the entire way through and it didn't overstay its welcome. I'm glad no. to sit down and watch a movie that's not two and a half hours long. No, it's, it's, it's a tight 105 minutes, maybe 106. Oh Yeah. But the last two minutes of it are just like, are like just a dancing roadrunner. So, you know, it's like. <laughs> and I stayed for that because. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's great. Why, why, why wouldn't you watch that? <laughs> absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, um, you got your good movie for the season. Now, I'm going to send you to something really, really crummy. Now, I'm going to make you go watch Blue Beetle or something. That's I know it's I know it's DC and there's probably a blue beetle in it. I, yeah. That's all I know. It's all yours, baby. All right, JP Gwynn for it. All right, JP Gwynn. I'll see you at Asteroid City, man. I'll see you there. Thanks, Neil. One of the most highly anticipated media events. Uh, for the year, at least for me, has been the new season of Black Mirror. These are the first new episodes of Black Mirror that we've received in quite some time. Charlie Brooker basically took the COVID years off, and now he's back with six, five new episodes, I'm sorry, five new episodes of Black Mirror, his tech horror anthology show that made a huge splash when it debuted on Netflix. That was back in 2016, 2017, I don't remember exactly when, but it is one of the, to my mind, one of the best television shows ever made and certainly the absolute worthy and total successor to The Twilight Zone, which has attempted its own reboot over the last couple of years with not nearly as much success or as much resonance as Black Mirror. Omar Gayaga, our resident uh, tech futurist, is here to discuss the new episodes with me now. Hello. Hey Neil, yeah, it's it's been a long road. It feels like it feels like Black Mirror's been around forever now, right? You know, and 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 the, it's sort of the way it it depicts reality or has depicted reality in, in previous seasons has just sort of burned itself into our brain. Like it's hard for us to experience anything involving um, social media or artificial intelligence or um, you know cybernetics without thinking about Black Mirror. I mean, it, it is it is both eerily prescient and, and predictive and also just incredibly accurate uh, in describing the, the weird reality in which we live. 
and that's one of the things people say about Black Mirror, right? It's like, you know, that they could, it can't do it anymore because our own reality has caught up to, to, to Black Mirror's point of view. And I, I don't actually entirely agree with that. I think there's still more um, ground to cover, but it is interesting that this new season takes a lot, spends a lot, most of its time looking back on the past. Almost every episode is set in the past as, as opposed to the, you know, near future, which is where a lot of Black Mirror uh, has resided in, in previous seasons. Yeah. A lot of Black Mirror has been alternate dimension type stuff or, you know, a world like ours, but with one twist. And these are definitely feel more like what if this had happened in the sixties or what if, you know, this other world where this, these, these things could happen. I think the most grounded in reality to our world um, that we get in the present is the very first episode. The uh, Joan is awful, uh, which seems to be the one that's, to my mind, resonating with the most people. People seem to like that one the most of this bunch. Uh, but yeah, but it's, it's interesting. This season is is really, um, it, it's very different in a lot of ways than the past seasons. I mean, season four, which was four years ago, was only three episodes. I, I didn't even remember until I looked back uh, to see what season four was. And one of those was the Miley Cyrus episode. One of those was the Striking Vipers with the video game. Like, they weren't the best <laughs> like Mirror episodes. So I feel, I feel like this, even though it's not purely it doesn't have a purely a black mirrored bleak vibe like it normally has. It's kind of a return to form just in terms of the quality of it, I think. Sure. I agree. Oh, I agree. I mean, I think the season has been uh, terrific, uh, uniformly terrific. I will say that, you know, the black mirror episodes that, uh, you know, struck me as the, as the most, well, there's the Emmy winning San Junipero episode, which involves um, older women going inside a, uh, a virtual reality, uh, afterlife basically where they're they're younger sexier selves that that one and there's nosedive which is the social credit one uh starring uh bryce dallas howard and then the the first one i i saw i think was the first one of the first season which is the uh the one where the the people the people have to do the ride the exercise bikes in order to power society and there's that reality there's that reality show that they're all on that i think daniel kaluuya was uh was the star of that one if i'm mm-hmm. And that was, you know, that those to me, you know, sort of um, captured the Black Mirror vibe uh, best of of all the episodes. And I think you mentioned Joan is awful, and I think that that one um, kind of joins that that group of of top tier episodes. And you know, it's such a, um, I, I think it's resonated with people because you know we've all spent so much time uh, worrying about artificial intelligence and quantum computing, and so much time. Uh, watching streaming TV and this Joan is awful just kind of merges those two in such a brilliant way. Yeah. And, and we're, we're scared of the algorithm, you know, the, the streaming algorithm, the social network algorithm and like that, it elegantly kind of combines all three of those threads, the AI part of it, that, you know, d- deep fakes generated by AI. And then the idea that the algorithm is always watching you. Uh, and then this, this element of um, sort of being watched all the time, you know, being, we're, we're constantly being surveilled. So like all those ideas very elegantly tied together and funny. Like I think people forget yes. it, whenever we discuss Black Mirror, it's always, oh, it's bleak, it's dark, it's dystopian, you know, it's, it, it, but Charlie Brooker's a comedian. I mean, he got his starting TV comedy. I mean, he is, he yes. is a funny guy. Well, we've um, talked about this in the past on the show. He made Kunk on Earth. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah. So he is, he is, his his comedy chops are, are second to none. Um, yeah, and so Joan is awful. Is that, that that's to me also why I think it's my favorite. Although there were um, some occasional comedic moments in the other episodes, uh, this one um, is, I think, in tone and even in the way it ends, a, a comedy um, 
all the way through. And it stars, you know, and, and it also has like an extremely appealing cast, you know, Annie Murphy, Salma Hayek, uh, and, and other guest stars who, who I won't, uh, I won't reveal because it would spoil the surprise, but you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's just a lot of comedic energy in, in that one that, uh, I think people are responding to. And the others, you know, the other episodes, to me, they felt more like um, takes on that old, not on the Twilight Zone so much, but on like Night Gallery, Rod Serling's later sort of more blood-splattered horror show that aired in the late 60s and early 70s. They have that they have that vibe and mo most of them are set in the past. One of them is the one I just finished watching, The um, Demon 79, is literally set in 1979. Another one is set in 1969. Um, the one you should have warned me about, Omar, is set in, I think, 2005. Uh, and then and then even Locke Henry, which is the other uh, sort of one that's set in the present day, even that has a videotape element that takes us back into the 70s and 80s. Yeah, it, it leans a little bit less on the technology of like where we are now with technology and it kind of takes a step back. I think the only one that, that really is a little bit more forward-looking of that bunch is the the space one the um I, I'm blanking on the name the uh, beyond the beyond sea the, beyond the sea yeah where you know the idea that you could you know uh, beam your consciousness across the stars to Earth you know to a robot version of yourself like you know that that sort of set, takes place in the past but in with with a very futuristic technology that didn't exist then but yeah right. the rest of them I mean even even like the the, the paparazzi one with, with Zazie Beats. You know, the technology was very much like she's putting a compact flashcard into her SLR camera from, from that era. She's look, she's got an iPod shuffle clipped to her belt. Like it was very like th those nods to like where we were technology wise seemed very, uh, very overt. Like, like, OK, yeah, this is where we're at. But nothing in it was really, uh, you know, technology warning like we're used to in a Black Mirror episode. Yeah, I mean, even even the space one that was kind of like technology as they as Arthur C. Clarke or Isaac Asimov or Robert Heinlein, uh, all, all of whom Bray Bradbury, all of which are referenced in that mm -hmm. episode, or at least some of them are referenced in that episode. By the way, it, it was a nod to that era of sci-fi. It didn't feel like contemporary sci-fi. Uh, it, it it was literally like an alternate take on two thousand and one, a space odyssey. Well, the writer this 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 uh, brought to my mind was Harlan Ellison, who was yes. never really tied down to to hard sci-fi or you know I think his brand was always called speculative fiction, which could be very dark, could be very funny, could be you know he he never really um, stuck to one one particular sci-fi, and he hated the term sci-fi first of all. Um, but I feel like these four years since the last batch, which you know which I said like I said was only those three episodes, and I think the season you referred to that had the real ringers like San Junipero was season three. Um, it feels like Charlie Brooker took a sort of took a step back in these in the pandemic years and said, I'm going to define what Black Mirror is. And my definition of Black Mirror now is it's not any one thing. It could be any of these things. Um, in fact, the last episode, the um, the Demon 79 has a label at the beginning that says a Red Mirror episode you know, or a Red yeah. Mirror production, uh, which hints that like that Black Mirror can be horror. It can be sci fi. It can be uh, set in the past and the present. Like it's not going to be. Uh, it, I don't think Charlie Brooker wants Black Mirror to be anything that you can pin down or pigeonhole as that's that's a proto a typical Black Mirror episode. And it felt like we were edging in that direction with with I thought season four. I thought season four was the first season where I was like, this doesn't feel as essential um, as previous seasons. Um, yeah, and or, I, you know or, what? Or maybe, I, maybe season five is the one I'm thinking of. Season five, I think, is the one that I, that only had three episodes. And I'm fine with that, and I'm I'm totally here for it. Uh, I do. Uh, 
you know, since I know Charlie Brooker listens to this podcast, I do want to encourage him to continue to at least occasionally go back to what uh, made um, made Black Mirror so uh, buzzworthy to begin with, which is you know giving us a an a alternate look at what we're doing right now. Because you know, I don't think anyone does it better. You know, no one does it with as much humor. Or as and no and no one's better at the at the twist at the modern twist than Charlie Brooker. You know, there's there's always this aha moment either at some point in the episodes or mini movies, uh, and you just wait for it. You wait for it to come, and you know it almost always delivers, and it's almost always satisfying. Uh, and so I, I just I just want to you know I would like to make sure that. Uh, you know, there are more, if he's going to make more, and I'm, I'm assuming he will, that there's more jo- Joan uh, is awfuls uh, in the mix. You know, I don't want it all to be like, you know, kind of weird takes on 70s horror. Yeah, it's refreshing when when there's a there's a funny Black Mirror episode that actually ends on a, on a you know, light note that doesn't end in a complete darkness or death or, you know, or mis- dismemberment, like something that actually leaves you feeling a little bit lighter. Uh, and yeah, I think that's one reason why, why Joan is awful. People are liking it so much. Uh, the one, the one knock I would put on this season, apart from just, you know, the usual, like, you know, some are better than others and you're going to, you're going to like one or two of these more than the other three probably, uh, is just length, just length of episodes has, has really gotten baggy, uh, over time since it, since it went to Netflix. I mean, I kind of miss those 30, 40 minute, uh, episodes from the, from when it was in England where, you know, you reveal the twist and boom, you're out. You know, you didn't have another 20 minutes of fallout from the twist. Uh, like yeah, Demon, Demon 79 is basically a movie. Yeah. And so, and so is, I would argue so is uh, Joan is Awful. And and once you know the conceit of Joan is Awful, there's a whole other two acts to go. And once you yeah, know I, what I, the twist is there, there's yeah. still way more left. Yeah. And, I, and also Beyond the Sea. Uh, yeah, there are several of them are movie length. The only one that is sort of a nice tight Black Mirror episode is is the unspeakable uh, Maisie Day, which we, we cannot talk about here or else I'm not going to sleep for another <laughs> night. And I, I can't do that anymore. I got I to gotta, I gotta get my sleep, Omar. I thought you would do your, I thought you would do your due diligence on, on what, what these episodes were about. For you. No, I like to be surprised. Yourself. I like to be surprised. I like to, I, I like to come at them with a, um, I don't, I, I'm not, not re- I'm not revealing the twist here. I, well, I don't reveal the twist to myself. I want to, I want to, you know, figure it out on my own. And when I, when I, when I saw what that one was about, well, it was just pretty much my worst nightmare come true. It won't be everyone's. It won't be everyone's worst nightmare. I, the one other thing I wanted to say before I, um, I let you go into your dystopian uh, future that is also the present is that, um, you know, I, I think that he does lean a little heavily, Charlie Brooker, into um, like I don't know, sex perversion as 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 a theme. Like every episode, someone's a child molester, someone's a you know a, a wife beater, someone's a serial rapist, and it's like I know those people do exist in the world, but I feel like I mean I could count on on one hand the number of Black Mirror episodes where that's not a theme. Or at least a sub theme, and I, I feel like it's a little tired. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that's not one I picked up on as much this season, but yeah, that that seems well. well this there, season, there's lock, several of them, them though. Several of them, like Lock, lock Henry, that's all mm-hmm. over Lock Henry. Um, I mean, and certainly the uh, the uh, Demon Seventy Nine. There's there's lots of lots of that crap sure. in there as well. And you, I just I don't know. It's just it's just it just it just gets a little old after a while. It's like okay, you know, it's like it's just unnecessarily lurid when the because the premises that we're dealing with are horrifying enough 
Yeah, that my my other knock apart from the the running length of the episodes is is that that almost all of them end in some sort of violent act or some sort of you know um, some sort of cruelty or violent, where I kind of liked the the some of the earlier Black Mirror episodes where it just ends on a oh shit and and you don't get to the violent part <laughs> you kind of like uh, and before that like I, I felt uh, like Beyond the Sea I felt took that extra step that wasn't even necessary like we were, we already got what was dark and weird yeah. about it before we we get that final act and i was like that it didn't need that i think yeah. i thought it was plenty disturbing before you even got to that subtlety is not this season's strong suit but i think it's still <laughs> worth watching uh so omar uh just go ahead and upload yourself to whatever you to to the server and uh, i'll talk to you next time thank you neil good talking to you for years you've been avoiding earth but I have called for your help plenty of other times, and you've been pretty content to let those calls go straight to voicemail. Yeah, well, this is different. How much do you know about your security detail? What do you mean, how much do I know about them? Fury, we gotta be very careful now. It's been nearly five weeks since the Marvel Cinematic Universe has given us fresh content. Uh, like an IV drip, it keeps on feeding, and there is a new Marvel Cinematic Universe on TV uh, this week and running for the next few weeks. It's Secret Invasion a new uh, miniseries from Marvel on Disney+. Plus. Scott Gold is here to discuss Secret Invasion with me after his unsuccessful attempt to seize control of this podcast for me earlier this summer. Uh, he is back as a guest, only as a guest, Scott, and we welcome him. Hello. Hi, Neil, and I would have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for those pesky kids. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so, and you, you, didn't, we, you didn't even have Velma to discuss, and you still, you still dropped a Scooby-Doo reference. Uh, there, there's nothing, um, nothing uh, Scooby-Doo-like about uh, Secret Invasion. It is uh, a very uh, sort of self-serious uh, entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe canon. It basically, it, it is a retelling of a, well-loved Marvel story about the scrolls, which are who are shape-shifting aliens, kind of green aliens from they're from outer space. They're aliens, and they come to Earth, and they can they can take on the form of humans. There's sort of an invasion of the body snatchers thing going on there. Their home world was destroyed in a war, and they're looking for a new spot. And uh, rather than coexisting with the people, they I think there are, there is a, a dissident faction of scrolls who want to take things over. So you know, this is one. This is one of those concepts that could be fun or not fun, depending on the treatment. And I, I place it in the not fun camp. I don't know how you feel. Yeah, I mean, it's decidedly less fun than other MCU series we've gotten uh, in recent years. I mean, it didn't have. It doesn't have any of the kind of surreal bananas. Uh, you know, mental health like insanity of Moon Knight. Uh, it doesn't have all of this multiverse tripping nature of Loki. It's just this very, like you said, self-serious, almost like 70s John le Carre spy thing. Like it takes place in Russia. It's a very Cold War spy thriller kind of thing. Like even Ben Mendelsohn 
looks like Gary Oldman in the John le Carre movies, right? Uh, good comparison. And, uh, yeah. Which is, you know, you know, there's a place for that, and it could be cool. But as of the premiere episode, it's uh, it's just it's it's not like the fun Marvel that we're used to. Uh, you know, on the one hand, Marvel can get a little too bubblegummy, like uh, you know, like Miss Marvel, or it can go, you know, a little too kind of, you know, down the dark path. And you know, even the dark path can be a lot of fun when treated correctly. But uh, this is, you know, it's uh, it's a little brooding. It's it seems to me like very seventies ish, but not in a not in like the most entertaining way. Well, the problem, the thing is, like, okay, it's trying to resemble seventies political thrillers. Uh, or at least the Born Identity movies, which which also owed a lot to this to the '70s, given that most books were written in the '70s. But it's still about shape shifting aliens trying to take over the Earth at the end of the day. So if if you're gonna do shape shifting aliens trying to take over the Earth, come on, you know, let's let's uh let's really ramp it up. You know, this the Secret Invasion comic books, which the um, the show is loosely based on involved like all kinds of superhero shenanigans and intergalactic travel and you know big characters who haven't even been introduced into the mcu yet so they they couldn't do that so instead they went they kind of went for this um muted apple tv plus spy thriller vibe and i don't know it just it just doesn't work and you know we didn't even mention the fact that this is essentially samuel l jackson jackson's either return to or swan song for the MCU. You know, he Nick he plays Nick Fury, you know, the guy who formed the Avengers in the first place and he's been I guess he's been in space for the last few years building a missile system or something. Um and yeah, now he's he definitely comes... suffering from sort of some sort of space depression. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He's you know, he's come back to earth. He's got this like, you know, homeless guy beard and he's wearing like a knit cap and he's a, uh, you know, a little softer around the midsection than we than we're used to seeing Nick Fury and uh, some, you know, some people speculate that maybe that's because, you know, he wants, you know, people to underestimate him so that he can like gather cooler intel, but he's certainly not the cool, suave Nick Fury that is portrayed in the comics and that we got used to throughout the entire buildup of the MCU in the last, I don't know, 20 years. Um, so it's a different turn for him. That everyone loved cause he was, he was cool and quippy and, and didn't take any shit. And now, and now he's like, he, now he's this like mopey uh, guy, like, you know, dealing with his own mortality. And I'm like, that's just not, you know, again, this is a show about shape-shifting aliens trying to take over the earth. The scroll, you know, the, the scroll should be fun, right? I mean, I don't, yeah, know if you ever watch, I don't know if you ever watched any of the Marvel cartoon shows, but I, you know, I had, my, my son was, that's my excuse that I had a little kid. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I was just watching cartoons as a grown grown ass man, but you know yeah, it's like grown man would do that. No, I would never. But the uh, you know the beginning of the scroll saga, and I believe it was like Avengers: Earth's Mightiest Heroes, was like you know Captain America was a scroll. Like oh no, Captain America's a scroll. That's terrible. My God. Um, yeah, but, and those ideas, like you know, that's what the MCU is for. Like I want to see superheroes in an MCU show, you know, like as much as I love shield and Nick Fury, you know, there's a reason that, you know, agents of shield wasn't as popular as other Marvel properties. It's just not quite as exciting as getting to see some of, you know, our favorite superheroes. Now they might not be our favorite superheroes now that we're on phase, whatever of the MCU, but at least give us some superheroes, I guess, you know, maybe that's going to happen later in the show's run, but, uh, 
you know, as of now, it's it's basically like a shield, you know, drama. And uh, you know, that's just it's just it doesn't it doesn't get me as excited as it would be like, oh my god, like, you know, what happens if a scroll takes over, you know, Captain Marvel or Miss Marvel or any of the other superheroes or anybody in the Fantastic Four who played a huge role in the Secret Invasion comics run. And, you know, the whole thing, you know, their inner, the Skrulls interaction with Reed Richards, like that was just absolutely bananas and really crazy fun to, to read about. And I'd love to see something like that on screen, but we still haven't gotten an MC, an official MCU version of the Fantastic Four yet. So that's kind of out. Uh, you know, Tony Stark is dead, so he's out. And Captain America has gone back in time, so he's out. So I guess, you know, maybe Thor, who knows? Like maybe the Hulk? I don't know. But I want to see a superhero and not know whether or not it's them. Like that is cool. That is exciting. That is fun. Maybe they're going to bring that in. Maybe they'll change the tone of the show later on. Kind of hard to tell from a premiere, uh, from a, a debut episode. But uh, but as of now, it's just, it, it wasn't a super exciting uh, premiere of a new MCU property. Right. And if, you know, you, you and I are the, you know, the adult target market for this kind of material anyway. And if we're both sitting here saying, yeah, then that's not a good sign. Yeah, completely agreed. Like, you know, I want the first episode of a new show to just blow me away. Like if you're going to, if you're going to kind of put me on the fence, do it in the middle of the show, you know, where, where you already have me roped in and I know you're going to bring, you know, you're going to ramp it back up for the finale, but you know, you don't want to bore me in your first episode, man. No. And that's what, you know, what I consider the most successful uh, Marvel uh, Disney shows uh, did, you know, with, with with WandaVision and um, Loki, we're probably, I think, probably uh, the best two uh, of the bunch, and this, the others have been kind of a bit of a mixed bag. But um, you know, but those two shows in particular were the model of how to do this sort of thing, right? You just you you just you know create these incredibly uh, dynamic, wacky premises and and just run with them. Yeah, there's nothing dynamic or wacky going on here at all no. for the most part. I mean, the wackiest part is you know one of the oldest tropes of you know 20th century and now 21st century science fiction which is the old cold war deal of you know who can you trust you know who's secretly a communist because that's what we're talking about right um or an immigrant or a refugee or a jew you know it could be could be could be any of those things well if the scrolls were jewish they would have to wear scroll caps Oh my God, you did it. You went there. <laughs> I did. I did. So, you know, and the show that this most resembles um, from the MCU to me is the, uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier show, uh, which uh, ran a couple of years ago. And that was not great, but it did have, uh, it did have that um, dynamic kind of anti-hero heel turn from uh, Wyatt Russell as uh, John Walker, the U.S. agent. It also had Julia, Julia Louis-Dreyfus popping around, um, you know, dropping quips. And, you know, and the only thing, the only sort of brightness, so to speak, in the show so far has been uh, Olivia Coleman shows up as some kind of British spy master. Um, her character was very poorly written, but she at least seemed to, um, she at least seemed to be trying. Oh, I mean, I thought she was a delight. She, you know, as she, all, you know, almost always is. She, uh, I think she stole the show and ran away with it. It's really hard to compete against that. Even when you have the Mother of Dragons herself, Daenerys Targaryen, in your show. Oh, she was dreadful. Like, dreadful. Uh, I mean, come on, man. Like, it's just, they, they didn't give her much of a role, and it just wasn't, 
you know, you you have this, and I think she's a she's a, a very talented actress, but uh, they just did not give her either the right role or the right writing or something because she was just it was just kind of a, a dreadful affair, like watching her in this role that just doesn't live up to what she can do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I get, there, there's, there, there's kind of an acting Olympics going on here. You got Samuel L. Jackson, you got Olivia Coleman, you got Ben Mendelsohn, Don Cheadle, the worst Avenger. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, marquee names in this show, but, uh, and it's obviously, you know, the, the marquee property, but I, I, to me, I hate to say it, you know, after this and after the Flash movie, I'm starting to feel it, Scott. I'm starting to feel the superhero fatigue. It's settling in. Well, you know, the good thing is there are always superheroes for them to bring in to kind of get the energy back up. So maybe this will be a learning lesson for Marvel that not everything they do is going to be a huge hit, or maybe they should stick to what they do best. But so far, not completely wowed, but who knows? Like, they could just take this in a completely crazy direction by episode three. I'm not putting any money on that, but it would be great to see. Uh, it's it's their secret to reveal to us. Secret Invasion. <laughs> secret Invasion is on Disney Plus now. Uh, I, 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 I'm going to see it through. I mean, you know, if nothing else, if it's boring, I can look at my phone while it's on and just kind of catch the highlights that I need to bookmark for, for later better shows. <laughs> you just always live tweet about how awful it is. That's always fun. Oh yeah, that that that's what's gonna um gonna bring me bring me the most uh, audience and the most and uh, just the most influence, which is my goal in life. Anyway, Scott, thank you so much for stopping in as a guest. Uh, sure, you'll get to host the show again sometime next year if if, if you're lucky. I can't wait. All right, thanks, Scott Gold. Secret Invasion now on Disney Plus. Maybe there'll be some surprises down the road. It wouldn't surprise me if there were surprises. That's how unsurprising the show is so far. Also, thanks to Omar Gayaga for talking to me about the new season of Black Mirror now on Netflix, and to John Paul Gwynn for talking about Asteroid City, the Wes Anderson movie that is in theaters now. I am Neil Pollock. I am the editor in chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We publish non-dystopian articles about books and film and streaming TV nearly every day. And I bring you this show nearly every week for your enlightenment and enjoyment. I will talk to you soon. Audio.